please turn in your scriptures to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. Chapter 12 begins Paul's practical portion of his epistle. Not that there's not practical admonitions throughout, but here he deals more with the practical issues, but they grow out of the first 11 chapters, which is his doctrinal section. He's writing this letter to the church at Rome. So he's writing to Christians. And he admonishes all of us at the very first verses to present ourselves to the Lord with an act of entire consecration. But then he uh, he goes on to talk about the church and the spiritual gifts within the church. And he compares the church to a body of believers. The body is one, and yet there are many members within that body. And just like there are members within the body, so there are members with different gifts and and uses within the church. Not everyone has the same gift or the same function. And um, so as he's admonishing them regarding their spiritual gifts and how they're to stir them up and use them in the proper way, he begins in verse 3 with this admonition. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I want to focus on this particular admonition tonight. Main reason is it grows out of what we looked at this morning when we're considering the death of Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12. We saw that Herod did not give glory to God. He was lifted up with pride. He was speaking before the great crowd. He was addressed in his royal apparel. And he gave an oration. And the people cried out, This is the voice of of a God and not a man. And it went straight to his head. He accepted the accolades and praises that they gave him, equating him with deity. So he was swollen with pride. Well, this verse speaks of pride and how we are to think of ourselves. Um, you see, uh, he, he's, he's talking about presenting yourself to God not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says in verse 2. And here now he's talking about your mind and and how you think. I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. So he uses the word think three times in this passage. And what he's warning against is the danger of spiritual pride. We saw that Herod was lifted up with a general pride, uh, thinking too highly of himself, but that crosses right over into the Christian life. Right? He's writing, as I said, to Christians. He's not writing about some uh, tyrant, some worldly tyrant or some worldly person. He's talking about Christians and talking to Christians. And so he says that we're not to think of ourselves more highly. Charles Bridges said one of the most profound observers of the earth has remarked that spiritual pride 
offers to Satan his main advantage over the Christian. We might think the main advantage might be lust or other things, but he says the main advantage Satan has over the Christian is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. Pride works its way into anyone's thinking. But it's amazing how it can happen to the Christian and happen in the church. Now, he issues his caution in both a negative and positive manner. He says, do not think more highly of yourself, but he says, think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, it's possible that in this connection, uh, it does, it is connected to the preceding verse uh, where he talks about not being conformed to the world, but be renewed by the renewing of your mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, but whether it relates to that or not, it's a command that could stand right on its own. Uh, God commends us to a hum- humble mind. This is something we see throughout Scripture that God prizes, that God looks upon, the humble of heart. In Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is a house that you will build for me? And where is a place of my rest for all those things my hands have made? But he says, to this one I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite heart and who trembles at my word. If you were to put that in one word, that would be humility. That's what God looks for. Peter tells us that we're to be clothed with humility. For he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, That's an amazing thing when you think that God is looking for certain kinds of people and he wants us all to be humble. So we're not to think in a certain way, but we are to think in a very opposite way. So negatively, not to think more highly of ourselves. Matthew Henry said, we must take heed of having too great an opinion of ourselves or putting too high a valuation upon our own judgments, abilities, persons, performances. We must not be self-conceited nor esteem too much our own wisdom and other attainments that we might have, not to think ourselves to be something. Uh, That's what he's warning against. It's a call to humility. And this call is diametrically opposed to the thinking of the world. The world's not looking for a humble mind. It's looking for someone who thinks very positively about themselves. Uh, Someone has said that uh, this was not, humility is not listed as one of the Greek virtues. But it is a Christian virtue, something we ought to prize, something that God prizes. Now, there are several shades of meaning that, the, uh, to this not to think of yourself more highly. The New American Standard says we're not to think so as to have, uh, he says, think so as to have sound judgment. That's the positive aspect. Uh, not to think of yourself more highly, but to think soberly. This idea of soberness is to, uh, is to be of sound judgment. Sober, of course, is opposed to uh, being drunk. Uh, just this afternoon, it's uh, uh, one of our na- my wife was outside, and one of our neighbors they're having a, a party, and um, uh, 
a lady wandered over and uh, quite an older lady, but she was totally drunk, <laughs> not making any sense at all, my wife said. And then her husband came over and got her and brought her back to the party. But uh, that idea, she wasn't making any sense uh, at all. Uh, she called my wife a doctor, and then she said that she was a, a cop and that she was a policeman. I doubt she was, but she thought she was. But it's this idea of not thinking according to reality. A drunker thinks he can do all kinds of things that he can't do. He might pick a fight with someone twice his size. When I was a teenager, I worked in a restaurant, and and one of the uh, uh, one of the cooks. It seemed like he came in every other week with a black eye, and, and every time he had gone out to the bar the weekend before, and and he picked on someone that he shouldn't have picked on, but he always thought he could win, and he never won. He always got in trouble, but that's a drunkard. He might think he can do things he can't do. He thinks he can drive when he can't drive. Uh, it's like uh, someone said, like the mouse that gets into his master's whiskey. He comes out and he says, where's that cat? I'm going after him. He's mine. Well, that's what a drunkard does. He thinks not in the right way. Drunkenness perverts what's right. Uh, Matthew Poole says, we're not to be drunk with a proud and overweening conceit of ourselves, our own wisdom, ability, but to think soberly, modestly, let him contain himself within bounds and not take upon him what doesn't belong to him. And that's what people often do in the church. They think that they have abilities that they don't have or no one else recognizes. I believe seminaries are full of people like that. They often think that they... They're called to the ministry and they can preach. And then you hear them in, in, a, in the homiletics class and you wonder, what are they doing here? They can't make sense of what he's saying. Uh, but they think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. It's also been translated sanely. And I believe that's a, uh, that's a good shade of meaning to keep in mind. Because pride, especially spiritual pride, is a form of insanity. Last week, I gave you the illustration of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. You remember what happened to him. He was the king of Babylon. Babylon was, remember, the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up in pride because he, he was out looking over his kingdom. And he was just amazed with himself, enthralled with himself. Look at this that my hands have built. And God struck him down, not dead, but he took away his reasoning from him and he, he became like a beast of the field. And it wasn't until he looked up and he looked towards God and he realized that everything he had was from the hand of God. And so he said, my reason returned to me. Because pride is a form of insanity. So that's the basic admonition, not to think more highly, but to think soberly in a right frame of mind, in a sane way about yourself and what you have and your abilities and so forth. But notice the extent of the application. He says in verse 3, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So he's, he's addressing not just one group of Christians within the church, but he's addressing every Christian in the church. You see, this malady of spiritual pride 
infects each and every one of us. John Murray said, no one is immune to exaggerated self-esteem. Not one of us can say we have no problem with that ever. Matthew Henry said, pride is a sin that is bred in the bone of us all. And we have, therefore, each one of us to be cautioned and armed against it. There's no one who's beyond the reach of this snare in the Christian life. There's no one too small or insignificant that's not in danger of spiritual pride. Uh, it's interesting when I was studying Acts chapter 12 and Herod's sin of, of pride, uh, John Calvin made this remark. He said, if God did so sharply punish pride in a king whom prosperity did puff up, what shall become of the common sort who are ridiculously puffed up without a cause? <laughs> I think that's perfect because a lot of people, you see why he might be puffed up. He has such power. Power goes to your head. He had such riches. Riches can lift you up. All of these things are there can lift you up. The people were lifting him up. But what about the common person? What reason do they have to be prideful? And yet, that's exactly what we have. Prideful people wherever we look. Uh, I quoted or tried to quote Spurgeon this morning, but here's the full quote. He said, This weed of self-righteousness will grow upon any dunghill. No heap of rubbish is too rotten for the accursed toadstool, the proud self, to grow upon. It'll grow anywhere. We all are in danger of this. Henry Martin, a, a minister of the past, he said, Men frequently admire me, and I am pleased, but I abhor the pleasure I feel. You see, ministers often have this problem. And that's why Paul even says regarding the qualifications for a minister, not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride and do what? Fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil was lifted up with pride and he can be lifted up with pride. Now, that's not to say that an older, mature Christian will not be lifted up with pride. We can still fall into that as well. Uh, but there's a tendency among the young to think more highly of themselves. But it's certainly a sin that we all must be on guard regarding. Uh, there's no, no one too great or, or spiritually mature or well-established in the faith that is not at all times in danger of this sin. And sometimes it comes upon us when we're least expecting. Perhaps in a time when God humbles us and we are sorrowful for our sin and then we can even become proud of that. Look how sorrowful I am. Look how sincere I am. I'm more sincere than that publican standing over there. I'm more sincere than all. Well, we have to be careful Regarding this, uh, remember King Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26, 15 and 16, it says he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He did something that was not allowed. It's not allowed for the king to go into the temple and offer incense. 
but his mind and his heart was swollen with pride. It can happen to anyone at any time. And so uh, we need to be careful because this will grow and happen at any, to anyone at any time. But the cure, I want to look for a few moments just at the cure for spiritual pride. And there is a safeguard against spiritual pride and there's a secret to humility. And again, it has to do with our thinking, what we think and, and how we think. And what we need to do, first of all, is we need to recognize that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God is the one. And that's what Paul addresses here. Uh, he says, for, for I say through the grace given to me, he's using himself here as an example. I was given grace, grace to be an apostle, that is. Uh, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Uh, and this measure of faith has a lot to do with the various gifts that he's given to the church. He calls it a measure of faith. But each one has been given a measure of faith. And then verse uh, 6, notice he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Notice it's grace given to us. Let us use them in these various ways. So here he, he's letting them understand and teaching them how to think that the various gifts they have within the church were all given to them by God himself. They were given uh, that's what James says in James 1.17, that, and I quoted this just a moment ago, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And we need to keep this in mind that whoever we are, whatever we have, uh, whatever ability we may have, whether it's small or great, it's all from God. Spiritual gifts are just that. They are gifts. They are gifts from God Himself. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, that speaking of Christ, when He triumphed over Satan, dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, and when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. They're gifts. Not something you you conjured up on your own. It's not something you invented. It's not something you achieved. It's something that God gave you. Now, that's what Paul was reminding the Christians of in, in 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, I mentioned this this morning. Uh, 4 verse 7, uh, where Paul asked this prideful church, who made you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Charles Spurgeon has a, has a wonderful sermon on this verse. It's entitled, Pride Catechized and Condemned. <laughs> Pride Catechized. He, here's his two major points. A question to be answered with ease. <clears throat> and then secondly, a question to be answered with shame. A question to be answered with ease, 
Who makes you to differ from another? Well, that's easy. God. God makes you to differ. And what do you have that you did not receive? Which is the same question again in a different way. I have nothing. Nothing but my sin. And then you you just consider that for a moment. You think of everything you have. What do you have that you didn't receive? So many things we have, gifts and abilities, come to us as a result of our birth. And of course, we have no hand at all in that, do we? You didn't make a choice. I mean, we think we would like to make choices. We think, oh, I'd like to have a a girl. I'd like to have a boy. I'd like them to have green eyes or blue eyes or blonde hair, brown hair, red hair. But then they come as they are. (laughs) They may have all of those things. They may have none of those things uh, that we're we're hoping for, wishing for. And the the baby itself certainly has no, uh, no choice in the matter, didn't do anything to achieve any of those things. There's something that we have. And, and the older I get, the more I observe children and I see how different they are, even within the same family. And some children just have abilities from the get-go, it looks like. They, they learn how to crawl faster, walk faster, talk faster, talk more, all kinds of things. Uh, but this is something that they're born with. Uh, you can't say, well, I want to be tall or I want to be... Uh, I, I want to be big boned or small boned, or I want this or that. No, you 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 are what you are. Now, you can improve certain things, I understand, but there's many things you can't touch. I can't say, well, I want to go and be a NBA basketball player. <laughs> I, I will never make it to the NBA. I'll never make it to the backyard horse game. <laughs> uh, but that's how God made me. But he makes another person six feet eight and he's ready to go. But uh, those are things that you're born with. But you received it. Don't boast like you didn't receive it. Like it's something that you achieved on your own. Some gifts and abilities come to us as a result of birth. Uh, The physical strength, the beauty of a person. Um, Rank often comes with birth. In the matter of talent, there are very great differences. Education that we have, uh, the wealth and so forth, many of those things come to us in our relation to whom we are born or into which family we are born. But when you look at spiritual gifts, everything, Spurgeon said, everything, dear friend, that makes you differ from the common sinner is a gift of God's grace to you. Why did you have faith and another did not have faith? Why did you believe when perhaps even your brother or your sister has never believed in the gospel, never trusted Christ? Why you and not another? Well, the Bible teaches us very clearly that faith itself is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Everything we have is a gift of God. Everything spiritual, all of those Spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that we've been blessed with come to us not by merit, but by grace. By grace you've been saved and not of works. Um, And even within the Christian church, the community of Christians, there's varying degrees of grace that is given. I mean, there's some that are very strong, strong Christians and some that are very weak and timid. But those are differences that God has given. 
And we need to be careful that we don't boast as though they were not given. So I think that question alone is a cure to pride. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That's the question to be answered with shame. If you, if you did, if you did receive it from God, why are you boasting as if you did not receive it? Why are you lifted up with pride? That's an answer that you should, that's a question that should be answered with shame. We should hang our set and say, I should never boast. You should hold your mouth. Let him who boasts, Paul said to the Corinthians again, let him, him who boasts, Boast in the Lord. Boast in what He has done. If you have achieved a maturity in grace, then boast in the Lord. He has brought you safe thus far. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Nothing to boast in. We should be humble. We should be humble. Spurgeon said, Blessed is the man that feareth always. Blessed is the man who lies low at the foot of the cross, who, concerning everything he has, whether temporal or spiritual, ascribes all to the giver of all good. Give God the glory. The opposite of what Herod did in receiving the glory to himself, we should always in every way, give God the glory. You think of coming to Christ for salvation. We're taught, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And that's where we have the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee, full of pride. Pride in what he thought he had achieved. And he looked down his self-righteous nose at that publican over there, who was doing what? He was beating his breast. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He was the one who humbled himself. And he was exalted. Jesus Christ exalted him and said, I tell you, he went back to his house justified rather than the other. The other was the one who exalted himself. He goes back to his house, an unjustified, condemned sinner. And you think of coming to him in prayer. We come to him with boldness because of what Christ has done, not because of anything we are or have done. We come with boldness, but we come also with humility. And those two can coexist. If the boldness is not because of ourselves, but it's because of Christ and humility because of ourselves, we come with our heads down. We come, as we just read in Psalm, or we sang in Psalm 86, bow down thine ear, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. That's the ones God hears. We come to Him because we understand who we are. We come to Him because we understand our need. We come to Him because we understand that unless the Lord blesses us, we'll go home unblessed. We'll go home like poverty with the poverty we came with. But if we come with a humble heart, begging at His throne, we come, you know, as empty-handed beggars 
to God in prayer. If we come rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, we leave with nothing. (laughs) He says He sends the rich away empty-handed, but the poor He fills with good things. So we come to Him in prayer with a humble heart, ready uh, to receive what He has for us. And may we do that even tonight. Would you please bow with me in prayer again? Lord in heaven,